When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. I have a Q&A episode for you today. I've got five questions on all different topics, and I'm just going to rapid fire plow through these. So let's get started. The first question that was submitted is, what is the most recommended type of data collection? Now, the data collection system that I recommend the most is going to be the data collection system that works for you. So that's one of those special ed non-answers here. There's no perfect data collection system because what works really well for me may not work really well for you. The only data collection system that I want to see is one that you are actually using, meaning two things. You take data and then you analyze the data. You want to look at that data and see if progress is being made. And if it is, keep doing what you're doing. But if it isn't, change what you're doing. The point of data is not just to sit in a binder and be like, woohoo, I'm taking data. The point of the data is to utilize it, which means analyze it and make those database decisions. I love data systems that are simple and straightforward. I have seen beautiful data systems in tabbed, color-coded binders that are detailed and thorough, but guess what? They don't get used. I want something that can be consistently used on busy days when you're understaffed, i.e. all days, and you can actually use it in the moment. I love using a click counter for collecting frequency data. I love tallies. I love rubrics. Rubrics are a great way 
to create really a summary of different behaviors that involve multiple components. I have a bunch of rubrics in my TPT store on different behavioral issues and social skills kind of challenges. And those are really useful for day-to-day use in the classroom. When it comes to the analyzing and organization piece of data collection, I love Google Forms. You've probably heard me talk about Google Forms a lot on social media. It's super user-friendly and easy to create kind of an overall organization system for your Google Forms that creates graphs automatically. So you can really look at that visual representation of your data and make quick, objective database decisions. So awesome. So that's my... That's my non-answer to that question. Okay, our next question. How do you know if your child is in the right setting? This is a really good question. Whether we're coming at this from the perspective of a parent and it's your child or as a teacher, how do you know if the student in your classroom is in the right setting? My simple yet complicated answer to this question is that you want to know that that child is making progress. And this actually ties back into the first question on data collection. When I say I want to know that a child is making progress, that means I want to see data that shows exactly the type of progress that that student is making. I don't want to think that Johnny's reading level has improved. I don't want to think his behaviors have decreased. I don't want to assume that he has more math skills. I want to see numbers that demonstrate that. If you are a parent and you want to know if your child is in the right setting, that is what I would be asking for. I would want to see regular data, not just at a report card or an annual IEP meeting. I would want to see regular data showing that that child is making progress. I would want a hand in those IEP goals to know that those IEP goals are something that have high expectations built into them. We want to see our kids keep, you know, continuously reaching those big goals. If the goals are set too low and yet they're meeting those goals, we could be advancing farther. So I'd want IEP goals, you know, that are achievable, but also hold our kids to high expectations. And then I would want to see the data that is moving in the direction of those goals. As a teacher, when you're looking at a student considering if he is in the right placement, I would look at the amount of supports needed and the same thing. I would look at the progress being made. With the supports that your classroom is designed to give, can this student make academic, functional, social progress and move towards becoming a more independent version of himself? That's kind of the big question you want to ask yourself. And when I say look at the accommodations that your classroom is designed to give, you may be giving a lot more additional support than is typically needed in your classroom. If your classroom can handle that, great. But if you are basically this child's one-on-one right now and your other eight kids are with your paraprofessional, that is something you may need to reconsider as far as if this is the appropriate placement or what other outside supports you can add into that placement. The next question is, how do I help gen ed teachers and other administrators understand inclusion and the importance of inclusion? So with this question, I'm going to point you right over to episode 121 with the inclusion expert herself, Paula Kluth. So I actually asked her this exact question towards the end of the episode. We spent a lot of the episode talking about different strategies for 
setting up inclusion opportunities in the virtual classroom or a socially distant classroom or just general best practices. And then because I had her on the call, guys, I couldn't resist the urge to like ask her this question because this is this is my big question too. I've been in that situation as an educator where I don't feel like my colleagues and sometimes my administration was supporting me when it came to what my students were entitled to as far as inclusion. And what do you do when you're in that position? What do you do when you're in that position as a young teacher, as a new teacher, right? If you're brand new or just new to the school, you're trying to give a good impression and all of a sudden, you know, you're coming in hot to your principal's office because your students' rights are not being given to them when it comes to what they need as far as inclusion. I'm not saying don't come in hot if they're not. That's something you may need to do. But I'm going to direct you to what Paula Kluth said. Um, Listen to episode 121 where she goes really in detail. But what she says is basically to let research and to let the law lead the way in this discussion. That research shows that inclusion opportunities are going to be better for everyone involved and show where the law stands on this issue. An IEP is a legal document that we have to abide by. So I loved that answer because it makes it less personal because, I don't know, I mean, if you guys have been in this situation, it feels very personal when someone doesn't want your kids included in something. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And I say my kids because when you're a teacher, they're your kids, right? I always say my babies, even though they were like, my students were like 13 and way bigger than me. But when someone didn't want my kids at a party, at a pep rally, at a gym period, it felt like a personal attack. And it was very hard for me to remove myself out of the emotion of that moment. But leading with research and reading with the law, I think can help you go above and beyond the emotional response that you want to give. So head over to episode 121 and listen to that all in inclusion. I mean, the episode's amazing. The next question is, how do I handle situations where there are big issues between staff members? That is a tricky situation to be in because as the leader of the team, as the teacher, 
you want to make sure that your team is working collaboratively together, and that includes amongst themselves. And animosity will breed animosity. So if two people are not getting along, that can start to really affect the morale of the whole group. So in these situations, I think it's best to kind of go back to our why. Go back to why we're all here and get back to that kind of foundation. I'm going to direct you over to episode 37 where I talk about the team mission statement. The team mission statement to me is this like almost blanket response I have for all team conflicts. And I don't mean that in like, oh, whatever, just do a team mission statement. I mean that because it really helps so many issues because it brings us all back to why we're here in this job. Why are you not just working at Target getting the discount on the dollar section? Why are you not working at Starbucks as a barista? Life would be easier in some ways. Instead, you are choosing to work in a school and you are choosing to work with learners with special needs. So in a situation where there's you know disagreements or conflict among staff members, I would do a team mission statement if you haven't. If you've already done it, I would review it and do it again. And try to, in that time, have team members identify their common why. We are both here because we want to help these kids become independent. We want to help these kids communicate. We want them to learn to make friends. That's why we're both here. So I think that kind of centering activity around your why and their why can be really powerful. Now, next steps, you want to tread carefully. I would loop administration in. I would make sure if you have a meeting with one that you have someone else there with you, maybe your special ed administrator, maybe your case manager, maybe your, you know, a principal or vice principal, um, because you don't want either team member to think you are taking sides. So I would maybe try to schedule a meeting individually with each of them with another person there and get to what the root of the issue is. Is there something that can be squashed and then you guys can all move on? Your team members don't need to be best friends, but they do need to respect each other and they do need to be able to work together. All right. And our last question wasn't actually one that was submitted, but it was one that we brought up in the Professional Development Membership Facebook group. And we had a long discussion about it at our monthly Facebook Live. And it was kind of a fun discussion. And it was really interesting to kind of go through all these different strategies. And it's something I know we deal with a lot in the classroom. So I wanted to bring it to the podcast. So the question was, how do I handle transitions from choice or reward time back to work? So iPad time is over. You need to give iPad back. We're going back to math centers. Well, first of all, that transition from preferred to non-preferred is hard, right? I mean, let's acknowledge that. Like, it's hard for me and you. If someone's like, hey, can you turn off Real Housewives and go do the dishes? I'm, I'm not going to be pleased about that. So the expectation should not be that our kids are like grinning ear to ear like, woohoo, I love giving back my favorite thing to go do something I don't love to do, right? That's like not the expectation. But the expectation is that, yes, sometimes in life we have to go from preferred to unpreferred activities. And an especially tricky one can be the iPad. In our live, we spent a lot of time talking through specifically some scenarios with the iPad. And there were a lot of great suggestions. 
one that was brought up, and I used to do this as well, is to pick how long a student's on the iPad based on the amount of videos they're watching or games they're playing versus the number of minutes. Because you can have that transition away from iPad occur right at the best part of the show, the best part of the game where you're about to win, and then you're like, nope, iPad over. And you're like, no, I was about to find out what happens. or I was about to beat this level, right? That's like so frustrating. That would be so frustrating for me. Instead, you could have that transition occur when the show is over, when the storyline is over, or when a game level is done. So pick the amount of time the student is given the iPad based on something that makes sense, not necessarily number of minutes. Some other great tools here are the guided access feature on the iPads where you can lock a student into an app and you can even have the screen turn off after a certain amount of minutes. So after a certain amount of time, if that if a time set, setup would work best, you can have the screen turn off. Um, again, that could be frustrating if you're in the middle of a game or an important show. So keep that in mind on what that looks like. Um, another idea with any type of choice time or preferred activity in general, when we're going from that to less preferred, is to use visuals, to use a visual timer, to use a visual cue system, to give transition statements. Hey, buddy, five more minutes. Hey, buddy, two more minutes. Okay, one more minute. So it's not a surprise. And then what I also really like to do is to go from a preferred activity to a less preferred activity. Like, right, we're not going to go from like something we love to something we hate. We're going to put something in the middle. So something either that's neutral for something that is less preferred. Like, hey, I know you love the iPad, but we're going to go play in the sensory table for a little bit. So let's go to the sensory table. And then from the sensory table, we're going to go to our workstation. So we can kind of transition and ease into less preferred activities that way. If your student uses a token system or a star chart, they can earn that first token or first star from just giving back the preferred activity or the item, the iPad. So, hey, iPad's done. When he gives you back the iPad, he immediately earns his first star. So before even, you know, leaving the iPad from his hands, he's already working towards getting it again, which is a really nice way to, to set that up as well. You can also practice returning the iPad or leaving the playtime area or giving back the slinky, whatever it is. You can practice that a few times before you have playtime. Hey, let's practice giving the iPad back. Let's practice cleaning up the bin of toys that we're playing with before you play. And again, not all these solutions are right for every student, but something within this toolbox could be a good fit for a student if you have this situation. We covered a lot of ground on this Q&A episode. We talked data, we talked staff issues, we talked behavior issues. We were all over the place. If you want your question answered on the podcast, you can shoot us a DM or a message with the question and let me know. We kind of compile an ongoing list between the episodes and then I pull a few from there. So if you have a question you would like answered, I would love to answer it for you. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. 
or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.